Welcome to the 46th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Riley Seabird. Riley got his first job as a dishwasher at 14 years old. He was in the Army, worked at State Farm, and held roles as an office assistant at several government agencies. He also worked at UPS. He moved and shipped a lot of boxes. He had an interest in digital marketing. He studied and learned what he could. He is a Facebook certified advertising API developer and a Facebook certified marketing developer. He is a marketer by day and a programmer by night. Today, he is the chief marketing officer of Hammersport Marketing. Listen to how Riley learned about marketing and is currently growing his company. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Riley, can you give a brief introduction to the audience? Yeah, so my name is Riley Seberg. Right now I work full-time as a co-founder of a marketing agency. Been doing that for about three years. It's really good. It's really fun. We're Facebook partners. And so we, we work with Facebook a lot to develop solutions for advertisers to integrate their marketing. And then we also focus on small businesses and kind of like entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and helping them get results. Because for the most part, people are overpaying for bad results. So we have a two-tier system. We kind of try and teach people how to the fundamentals so that they can go out and get results themselves. And then once they understand the fundamentals, now they know that we know what we're talking about. And we hope that they become a client when they can come afford us. So. That's interesting. So you have a very interesting background. You worked at UPS, State Farm. You're in the National Guard office assistant at a university you work for new york state so let's kind of take it back what was your first real job (laughs) my first real job was a dishwasher when i was 14 years old nice what type of restaurant i think i might have been younger than that it was so it was a it was like a neighborhood market so yeah like they had a kitchen it was barely a restaurant but they had a hell of a lot of dishes yeah how'd you sort of get that job and you know, why'd you get the job, right? Because a lot of 14-year-olds, right? You got to be pretty driven to get a job or your parents are like, you got to work. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a sad story on how I got the job. My friend, he lived like two doors down. We were friends with the owner's son. It wasn't like crazy to get a job there, but my friend was the first person to get a job there because he literally lived two steps away from the market. So he was like there every day anyway. And then he, so he worked there for, I don't know, probably couple months and I put an application in because you said that they're hiring. <laughs> they were probably going to interview me and hire me. And then my friend's mom died. Oh man, sorry to hear that. Yeah. So his mom died. And so he basically stopped working for a while. And the owner just, I don't know if I was there at the store. I think I might've been there at the store and the owner's like, Hey, can you start tomorrow? <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So how was it sort of washing dishes? I mean, that was like my dream job, man, (laughs) because it was my first taste of freedom. And the owner's son was like not a good influence. (laughs) So I picked up some bad habits, but I learned a lot just about like working. You know, I used to do yard work and stuff like that and mowing the neighbor's lawn. But like, it's a different type of work. Because you're getting paid like real money to do it. And so you, you kind of, no matter what it is, you're like excited about doing it for, you know, for a time. Do you mind sharing how much you, you were making? 
I think I might have been making like six seventy five. Okay, okay. I mean, that's a lot for when you're fourteen. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So you you did that, and then what was the next thing that came? You're obviously in high school. Did you ever have plans to go to college? What's the story with that? So I did have plans to go to college. Yeah, and I actually did go to college a couple times, but I never went away. The reason I didn't was because I was away at technical training for the army and I was supposed to be doing online college. And then I realized how <laughs> that it was basically just like school. It was no different. And I was like, fuck, man, like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. And so I just didn't do it. And that's what happens when you don't do it. You just don't keep going. But I realized that I needed to kind of learn ad hoc right so like i still needed to understand the fundamentals of whatever i was trying to do so i decided to just go to the local community college and kind of study like by electives right like just individual classes tailored to what i thought i was interested in at the time what were you interested in at the time it was business but i was studying supply chain management it's along the lines kind of (laughs) of what i'm doing now but not really I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I had no idea. You know, it's funny because my supply chain manager teacher was some type of brand manager for Nabisco. He talked about marketing all the time. Not exactly marketing, but almost marketing. How was high school like for you? It seems like you didn't like school too much. I was not a good kid. I played sports a lot. Distract myself. What sports? Uh, Football and wrestling. Those are my two main ones. Okay. I wrestled too. We should wrestle, man. One for it. Yeah, one day. One day. <laughs> 145 was my goal weight. <laughs> yeah, if I if I was at 145, I was I was good. Yeah, I don't know if I could make that again, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, no, I mean it definitely like sports was definitely something that I really looked forward to in school. So, you know, you didn't really like school. And why was it? I mean, dude, I just don't I wasn't interested in it. I had a job since I was 14. I realized real quick what the game was. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to be a businessman. My family were entrepreneurs. I grew up in a family of asphalters, like they had black toppers and shit. So I knew about business. And I was like, man, this shit is fucking boring. <laughs> I'm sitting here all day just fucking staring at the clock. Like I'm not interested in this at all. Yeah. It just didn't really entice you. And did your family sort of emphasize going to college or <laughs> no, nah, they didn't emphasize shit, man. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't emphasize anything. Sometimes, like I used to think back and like, oh man, I wish they would have emphasized a little bit. But I think they kind of just knew where we were. They basically told me if I wanted to go to college, I'd have to figure out how to go. That's half the reason why I joined the military. And then when you go to college and you pick any fucking degree, the first two years are general education. And it's like, what? what is this? Why am I doing this? I just can't get over stupid humps like that. Some would say it's a deficit. But for me, it's like, I'm just, I'm more focused on like the shit I'm interested in and what I want to do, like the actual practical shit. That's cool. So now you were at the army for a couple of years. What motivated you to join and what'd you learn out of that? Yeah. So my brother joined the Marine Corps a little bit before I joined the army. And that kind of led me you know i always figured i was gonna be like a cop or something just because i played with the action figures and i liked the sirens on the cars and shit and then i realized that the army has way cooler shit and you know so i was like dude armies and then the recruiters are at our high school all the time 
and they're always looking at the jocks or the you know the dudes who are on the wrestling team or the football team or you know basketball team because we're athletic and we're not <laughs> out of shape you know we could probably pass the pt test the army compared to college it's like the other side of the reality right because it's it's none of the bullshit it's all straight up this is what the fuck you're gonna do or else this could possibly happen to you <laughs> you know and that's what i needed at the time i needed somebody to what my parameters were i think college was just a little too liquid for me it was too too much freedom not enough direction while you're in the R- national guard you worked at ups how does that work yeah so the national guard is it's part-time people call them the weekend warriors for me i, tr- I was trying to make it full-time so i did a lot of I did a lot of work with the guard, uh, but not in official capacity. Anyways, so yeah, you you just show up on the weekends, right? UPS is really great about it. So if you ever have any type of drill or you know anything like that, they give you they actually give you paid time off. There are certain jobs that give you time on top of that. And so when I was working at UPS, I was actually killing it. Like when I'd be <laughs> going on drill weekend. Yeah. How was it sort of having the job at UPS? Like, what'd you learn from that? I got my first taste of the leadership at UPS, man. And people telling me to fuck off. Oh, uh, that always happens. Yeah. You know, I, I was a supervisor at McDonald's before that. Or not a supervisor, a crew trainer, but I acted like a supervisor. I was kind of like along the lines of figuring out what a leader was. And the manager there was like mentoring me. But when I got to UPS, it was different. I was actually like... These are these are not McDonald's employees. Like these McDonald's people. employees, if you can manage McDonald's employees, you can manage anyone. The thing is, is these guys, these guys were all like full grown men because you're working on the night side, and these guys have full time jobs, and it's just a little bit more intense, right? It's also a union too. So when you're a supervisor there, it's like unions are against management. <laughs> Right. And so it's a clear us versus them. And so half the time when you talk to people, they won't even listen to you just because of that thing. I got my first taste of like how not to lead by me fucking up constantly. Right. And uh, it was great, dude. It was fucking awesome. Like, Do you want to share like anything that stands out where you really messed up? I mean, I just remember there's a, a guy, I don't remember his name. There's a guy there that, you know, he's an older gentleman, bald black guy. And I don't know if he was just upset that he was working there or what but he would always come in work slow and be bitter and just not you know not really talk to anybody and it's not like that's a problem because you're in a trailer alone but when you're there with other people like he encouraged other people to do the same right and so then you start slowing down production and stuff like that and so what management would like cycle the managers through to try and like take you know (laughs) give people time off and stuff like that around him and one day i was just it was during peak season for you know black friday to christmas and i was i just had enough i'm like yo dude you gotta you gotta move faster but i'm sitting there i'm yelling at him but he's not like i'm down below he's up in the truck (laughs) right and i'm yelling at him and he's i'm like dude you gotta you gotta move faster like you gotta move faster my supervisor's behind me and he's just not listening and Something in me is just like, I know this is not working, but I'm still yelling at him because I'm like, I can't 
help, and I have no idea how the hell to make this guy move fast. <laughs> so I was a John Maxwell would say I was a clear like three in leadership, maybe, and I was trying to lead somebody who was higher than me. So the dude threw a box at me, <laughs> and uh, it taught me how how much I didn't know, how much authority I didn't have, and how people weren't actually going to just listen to me, even though my position said they had to. Did things end up working out with that guy, or he was always the same? Yeah, yeah, no, he he's he didn't really change how he worked, but he ended up not hating me. But that's a win. Yeah, yeah. So neither one of us got fired. He went home that day, but that's about it. You know, you kind of got your first taste of leadership at UPS. You kind of learned a lot. You, you know, I assume it was a pretty fast-paced environment because online the online deliveries started picking up around that time. Yeah, it was it was incredibly fast paced. It was really fast paced. So, how many hours did you work? I was working like seventy hours a week. It was what ten hour days. What was it? Yeah, well, it was split shifts. Yeah, and uh, basically, I would work about eight to nine hours on the night side, and then I would come in and work another eight hours on the day side. Man, when were you sleeping? You know, in between in the car. Wow, that respect, man! You really. We're grinding away. So now, what made you sort of leave? Well, before I ask you that, like, how many packages does someone like you go through a day in a shift? My most ever was, I can't, it was between 14 and 1600. And I think it was only for like four hours. Like, it, it wasn't, I would average like seven to 800 on a good night, like nine. They say that they promote the, the worst loaders, they promote them to the supervisors. <laughs> Oh, because they don't want to lose the people who sh- who pack fast. I guess, yeah. So maybe that was that guy's strategy. <laughs> like he'll yeah, be he was sl- trying to get promoted. <laughs> he was trying to get promoted. No, that's interesting. So you sort of left UPS and then you worked in, you know, you started working as a sales agent for State Farm. You know, what made you sort of make that transition? So I worked there both of those jobs simultaneously at the same time for a little bit. And what I realized is... I would be working nights at UPS for a long time if I was going to make UPS a career. Because the thing about UPS is like they kind of just treat you like part of the mechanism that moves boxes around. You know, like you know the the conveyor belt, like another gear in the process. And so I didn't want to do that. My manager, the guy who I probably would have got his job in a couple of years, he was working harder than me. <laughs> And and he was working longer than me. And I'm like, dude, this is insane. What's the pay like if you don't mind sharing? I thought he was making good money. He was making like 72 grand. And he was working 60 to 80 hour weeks. Okay, so it's not bad money, but not like crazy money. It's not worth it for working that hard. And I just noticed every single person there was like pissed off or they were physically broken down. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. So can you share about like the physically broken down? Like what happens to guys after a few years? Almost all of them were back braces. It's hard work. Like it's real hard work. And you're doing it, you know, in the elements basically. So when it's cold out, it's cold. When it's hot out, it's hot. (laughs) And the shit's heavy. A lot of it is. And then you're trying to keep up, right? Because they they run lean. That's what they call it. They run lean. and they. Expect you to work hard. So it's just heavy labor, man. So it takes a toll on the body. Cool. And what do you mean like mentally? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. It takes a toll on the mind and the body. 
And then you get the pressure from people like me <laughs> yelling at you to load faster. And it's just, it's just not fun, man. You know, the biggest thing they have is, uh, injury, like safety protocol, safety management, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, cause people are getting injured all the time. I guess you started doing only the night shifts. You started working as a sales agent. So you realize like UPS, that's not where the future is. They're working way too hard for something you don't want to do in the future. Now you work in insurance. Now, how is that different? It's completely different. I was literally sitting at a desk. Like I was wearing slacks at UPS, but I wasn't sitting at a desk. I was running around in boots and up and down in between trailers. And it was completely different, man. Like the atmosphere was different. So you felt like you actually had like a shot to move up. I mean, it, it doesn't look like you stayed long. Yeah. Well, it, to me, I wanted to learn how to sell. That's all I was interested in. Like if, if I could learn how to sell, then I could learn how to make money. <laughs> right. I figured selling insurance is probably the best place to do it. I mean, it's tough and insurance yeah. sales is serious sales. Yeah. 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 What'd you learn from the insurance? You learned how to sell. What else did you sort of learn? So I wouldn't say I learned how to sell. I would say I was introduced to sales. <laughs> right. And I, basically I was introduced to cold calling. I learned a little bit. I learned how not to lead once again, I'm not as a leader, but as a person being led. And basically, it was just like how not to do a bunch of things, how not to reach out to clients, how not to call people, how not to sell. You know, it's interesting because, you know, those old school pressure sales tactics that you that are classic and cliche. When you see them at work, you're like, oh, and then you're expected to do them. You're like, oh, maybe this is works for some people, but I, I can't sit here and do this all day. So it was hard. It was like that was probably harder work than UPS. Really? It's just harder in a different way. Yeah, UPS was kind of fun to do, right? It was exciting. Yeah, and you have some tangible things like, hey, I packed 1,400 boxes and I can imagine it's a different environment. Yeah, you're looking at the numbers every day. And then not to mention just the way the way the commission worked was State Farm is number one uh, insurer in the nation. And you didn't get any commission on the car insurance. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, you only got commission if you sold uh, like a mortgage or not, not a mortgage, homeowner's insurance, something like that. Interesting. So what came next? So you did that for a few months. What came next? I ended up working as a uh, a tool crib attendant, which is basically like a supply room for part of the army that makes the cannons for like warships and stuff like that. Howitzers. That seems like it was fun. It seemed like it would have been fun. Oh, it wasn't as fun <laughs> yeah. as it seemed. Yeah. I mean, I would say the culture of government work doesn't really <laughs> allow for fun too much. It was definitely a great experience. Sometimes I, I, I think about it because it was like basically the highest paying job I ever had. I could have sat there and, and basically lived a comfortable life. Why'd you sort of leave if it was like that? I got fired. Oh man, you mind sharing that? Yeah. During that period, I hit a deer on my motorcycle and I fractured my, or broke my femur in half, right? I was basically handicapped and couldn't perform my job so i was out of work for a while and then i came back and you know so i was riding around but when i was out of work i wasn't getting paid right and i came back because i needed money and so when i w wasn't getting paid my insurance lapsed and then when i came back i put my insurance paid it back but apparently it lapsed for a while right so now the the state got involved and they're like hey your registration is going to be suspended <laughs> One of those days I drove onto base 
they didn't flag me right then and there, but they came by later. And then I had weed in my car. (laughs) They were ready to arrest me, but I came down in crutches and stuff. And they were like, all right, you know, so nothing really came of that. My supervisor wanted me to take a drug test basically. And to convince (laughs) them that I was going to stay. And I'm like, yo, I, I can't. I kept telling him what I would, but something kept telling me, no, 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 no. And I'm sitting there smoking weed every day. And mind you, at the time I was on oxycodone and methadone for painkillers. And so I'm just trying not to get hooked on these painkillers. And and I already smoked weed. Like smoke, weed is my, my drug, right? And so basically I got fired for, for smoking weed and they found it in the car. But the thing is, is, is always interesting about the culture. Because it's it's old school, right? People drive through that same gate that I drove through drunk on a regular basis. But because they work there in the military has a substance abuse program and alcohol is not illegal, they don't lose their jobs. Sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, to me, it's interesting. It is very interesting. <laughs> it was sad at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, I'm, okay, so you got fired. Now, what happened? What was the next step? I'm, uh, I'm basically broken, right? <laughs> and <laughs> literally broken. And I can't get unemployment. But luckily, I was living at a place where... I was living with three other people and my rent was only 400 bucks a month. Oh, I started going to, <laughs> this is when I started going to school. <laughs> yeah. So I started going to school because I had already gone to Afghanistan. And so now I was eligible for the GI bill and I'm like, fuck if I'm, I was going to school while I was at work, but it was too hard for me to work and go to school at the same time. Like I'm sitting there after I get, I get out of work, I'm, you know, driving really fast to get to school. And so anyways, I, like, well, I'm now I'm going to, registers for school for real because i can learn something that's basically what i did i went to school for a little bit and while i was there i registered for the governor of new york started a hiring initiative for veterans so i registered for that put my name in and got a call at some point nice so you worked as an office assistant how was that you wrote that it's super boring actually if you're into like drama It's a great job because people come in like all the time with really, really fucking high parking tickets, like $300 and a boot on their car, <laughs> you know, or 600 bucks in a boot on their car. So if you're into like Jerry Springer, it's, it's a great place to work. It's, but for me, I was just, just sitting there behind a desk, you know, I'm at, I'm at a school at a college where I, I'm not even taking classes at, and I'm just like, Yo, this, I'm not going to do this. This is too weird. You know, the culture wasn't a good fit for me. Let's put it that way. So then you do move from the college. Then you work to the Department of Labor. How was that switch? It was basically the same thing. It was just a little bit more money. I got offered that position like two or three months after I joined the UAlbany. And that was pretty cool because it started teaching me about uh, I was doing like tax tax credit processing and uh it basically it just it started got me thinking more about like i was like these people are getting these tax credits for all this stuff and then i started it got my business brain thinking a little bit and so it was actually a pretty cool place to work nice so then you actually so the next job you actually stayed for like two years where you were the event production for the new york state office of general services what made you stay and how was that different 
Uh, that, that show was completely different. So, first of all, it was my first time I ever got a work phone. Oh, that's serious. That's a real job. And I got it on the first day. But basically, what, what that job was is you work as the advance team for the governor. And so, wherever the governor goes, you go out ahead of them and set up their their audio, their lighting, their stage, their you know everything for the show, uh, pipe and drape, all that stuff. All this stuff to get the show ready. That's basically what I did for for two years. It was it was exciting, man. It was it was pretty cool. It was really enlightening. I got to see a lot. I got to learn a lot. And I'm super super interested in politics. So at the time, I was like, "This is a fucking perfect place for me to be." <laughs> nice, nice. So what else did you learn during that job? Well, I learned a lot about production. Everything now, like that, I know about production. I got from that job. And so it taught me a lot about that. Like I had no idea about temperatures of lights or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. And so uh, I didn't even know what a what a mixer was, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it taught me a lot of, of that stuff, like real practical shit, stuff that I was going home and using, like on YouTube and stuff like that. So I was like, this is cool. Like I, I like this. This is fun. And then you know, it it taught me. Tell me a lot about politics, man. No, I mean, look, working for that, you kind of kind of see what goes on and all the different things. During that, you kind of also pick something up, right? You sort of founded a company during that time too? Yeah, so I decided at some point that I would need to start a side hustle. I think I was just listening to a podcast. Because basically when you're when you're not on a mission or, you know, going out for a show, you're just sitting there. <laughs> doing nothing and i'm like i'm not gonna sit here and do nothing like this is crazy because everybody else is watching netflix and stuff and i'm like i'm not gonna do this you know i I'd start getting into these courses and all that type of stuff and i'm like hey man there's something to this maybe i'll do something i wasn't really sure but i knew i was interested in shit and i think I, right around that time i started hearing about gary v the four hour work week you know tim ferris podcast and i'm like hey these these guys aren't fucking doing anything crazy, right? Like it's, it's all real practical shit that anybody can do. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to see if I can use this stuff to start a business. But the money I was making wasn't enough. And my wages were being garnished at the time too. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was making like just enough. and I, But I saved up for a couple months. And I ended up buying the business license kit of the, the HTC Vive, which is like $2,000. <laughs> and so, so I got it. And I'm like, okay, now I have a business. And I ended up just playing the VR <laughs> Oh man! For like hours a day, acting like I was studying. <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing research, uh, playing games and stuff. And so, you know, I did the math and the, ran the numbers, and I'm like, this. If, basically, the idea was start a v, it, the company was VR parties and more, right? And it was like start a podcast to promote the VR, run Facebook ads to promote it, and then you know get a storefront. But first, I was going to get a truck. And then drive up to people's houses and then just bring, like, let them go in the truck. You see, I got the VR things behind me. That was an idea, but I needed a lot of money. So I had to sit and save up for it. And then at the time, I joined a, a networking group called Arte to, you know, learn more about business. And I started just basically people were asking, like, really simple questions about Facebook ads. And I just started answering them. And I'm like, 
okay, and people are now asking for help. So I just started making videos in there. And then people started hitting me up personally, asking me if I could just run their ads for them. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, $1,000 a month for you. You just want me to run, to run ads on Facebook for you for a thousand bucks? Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. That's basically how I got started with an agency. It was kind of that simple. It was a little, a little more complicated with like how I was, you know, going about making videos and stuff, but it was really straightforward with getting into an agency. Nice. So it sort of naturally happened. Now you ended up now I see that you have like Cardone Kern advertising. Was that your agency or was you partnered, worked at an agency? How did that work? No, so I was wait uh, <laughs> I was Frank Kern and Grant Cardone teamed up and for a little bit they had a an agency and I was working as a media buyer for them. Interesting. Okay. But then you also had the Iron Buffet. So what is that? Yes. So Iron Buffet is it's a workout planner. You use it to plan your workouts and then you would also work with a trainer and the trainer would organize your workouts for you on there to track your progress and stuff like that. And uh yeah, it was it was a, a long project that never launched, right? So we got the core technology, got the product, got the audience, but just never got it figured out enough to launch it. Yeah. So it kind of just fizzled out. Okay. So then while you're doing that, you sort of did the hammer sport marketing. So that one you're still doing, you obviously took a lot of your previous experience and you fixed it or whatever you used it. So that was like the, you did the agency work for that. So Iron Buffet was supposed to be a client of like what, like one of my, uh, clients for my agency that I started. And then it basically turned into me working there. I was still doing running my agency as well. And at the time I just gotten a Facebook partnership as my agency. And I was basically the same group that I was using to get clients from. I ended up meeting my business partner, Lewis, you know, just from the jump, we had a hour long conversation, hour and a half long conversation on our first talk. And, you know, it was, we just talked about everything. We talked about Tony Robbins. We talked about race cars. Like we, we talked about a lot of cool shit. I'm like, damn, this dude's pretty cool. And he's doing the same thing. He basically had a, like a non laborious job <laughs> working as a roofer in the state of Florida. And so he was making some pretty good money doing that. And so what I would realize is like, I still have a lot I need to learn. And they always say like, use OPM, right? Other people's money. <laughs> so I'm like, why not? I just develop a relationship with this dude and eventually we'll learn something together. Right. And we'll, <laughs> since we're both doing it, it'll be useful to both of us. And so we both liked each other and we just started doing stuff like this, podcasting together and getting to know each other. And then we realized like, Hey, we're doing the same thing. Why don't we just partner up? And so, you know, we had a little negotiation about who would do what and what title we'd use and all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, my agency literally means nothing, <laughs> right? You kind of have a little th thought behind yours. <laughs> so I'll just go do yours. Right. And so that's basically how it happened. And it's going great. We both really solidified the fundamentals as an organization. And so that's what I noticed is it's completely different working as a company than working as a freelancer, right? And so trying to organize people and stuff like that, it's completely different. So we had to go back and learn the fundamentals as an organization. And that's basically what we've been doing for the last two years. So. All right. So what are the biggest, some quick, 
big differences between freelancers and organizations? Probably the biggest thing is with a freelancer only working with yourself and you're only really responsible to yourself. You're obviously responsible to whoever you make a deal with too, but only so far as the amount of money that you took from them, right? And it's just the level of work and the practicality to get things done is it's a lot smoother. It's it's way more straightforward. There's less less variables, less people involved. It's good, but it's you can't actually get as much done as a freelancer, right? So there's a limit to how big or complex of a project that you can take on, right? Unless you're like really super skilled, and even if you are, there's still limits to what you can do. So that one of the differences is that what I just said, and the other differences is the amount of complexity of work that you can actually achieve in a company is higher, like way higher than as a freelancer. So how'd you learn Facebook ads? Billy Jean is marketing. And uh, basically, I, I signed up for his course coaching thing and learned everything. I bought clicks in the customers, all that type of stuff. And then Frank Kern taught me a lot about not specifically Facebook ads, but direct response marketing and you know, like how it really works. So, okay. So you'd sort of recommend that course if people were... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Billy cool. Jean's clicks in the customers 2.0. Nice. How much does that course run about? Well, now I, th- I think you can get all of his courses for like $2 or $7 or something. Like oh, that. that's amazing. Cause I know some courses can run a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it was when I bought it, it was like two grand. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's still not bad. Cause I know people paying 10, 20 and Don't getting, do that. <laughs> getting less value too. So now, you know, so that was the course. What are some do's and don'ts, right? That you've learned some mistakes to avoid. That you would, you know, sort of other people who are trying to break into this space, what would you kind of tell them? I would say ask for help sooner and take on smaller projects more often. That's so a big we, thing. That's because you sort of learn from the smaller projects, right? You kind of learn, you, and when you make a mistake on a smaller project, it's a smaller mistake. I mean, not only that, but it, you get momentum, right? It's, it's like way easier to get momentum on a smaller project. Because you basically get all the, like, if you're to compare, like, the amount of endorphins you get from completing a super large project versus a small project, it's basically the same thing. Because a win is a win. It's a win. Yeah. So you want to stack up a bunch of little wins along the way, you know, but like working for free, bunch, that's what I do. How would you say the industry has changed over time? Because obviously there was a time where, like, you could just post an ad and make money, right? I think, like, early days, it was so easy. Even 2016 to 2018 is getting easier. Now it's a lot more competitive than it was before just because of this. It's completely different than it was four years ago, three years ago. Because back then people were laughing at Facebook. And then right around the election time. So like none of the corporations wanted to get caught putting money in. And so it was a great time for entrepreneurs, right? Because they could just dive in and and take the, the froth off. But now... Everybody's spending money on Facebook, right? And then not to mention that Facebook's running like eight ads every 10 seconds. So if you scroll in your newsfeed, I think I, I counted it yesterday. I, like every three posts on my newsfeed was an ad. Yeah. And the thing is, people don't realize because, you know, I know I took a hundred hour course on Facebook ads and it's just interesting how deep you can go. And it's all about how creative you get, right? The retargeting and all that stuff. Well, dude, I started... 
my Facebook marketing partner certification is as an ad API, like an API product, ad product developer. So he had, not only is it complicated on the front end, on the back end, it's incredibly complicated too. It's a huge behemoth of, of a network of possible places to advertise to. And it's, it's amazing. All of these platforms are really. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's interesting to see how they evolve and how things change and all that. Did you ever feel like your lack of a college degree ever held you back? Yeah. It held me back from opportunity after opportunity. Right. And you could say that that is a good thing. Like that's, or that's a bad thing. Like depending on how you look at it. For me, it held me back from the opportunities that were lucrative. Right. And so what I was forced to do is actually work <laughs> to do what I wanted to do. And I like, I realized that as I got older, that the college degree only really got you so far. And that <laughs> there were a lot of my friends that had college degrees that were now going for their masters. And for some reason, they were still working the same jobs I was working. And some of them have their masters and it didn't compute to me. The reason it held me back specifically is because, you know, as a vet, I have certain prioritization for government work, right? So, so that's the only reason because for certain jobs, you like, you have to have the degree. They can't, they won't, you know, so it was stuff like that. And in in the army too, the the army, they want you to have college (laughs) at a certain point. So yeah, it definitely held me back. I could have been an officer in the army. Have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree or you, you know, you're pretty comfortable? Well, I knew that I would never actually get one because I really don't want one. And if I don't want something, then I'm just not going to do it. So like I've been thinking now recently about going back and getting like a computer science degree or something like that because I'm really into programming now. And that might be something I would do because I really just want to learn more about programming, like what these guys know. I still probably wouldn't do it because everything that these guys know, you can learn on the internet and you don't have to go through the general education. You know, you don't like, so to me, college is too much of a hassle to get information from. Yeah. You don't want to go through the gen end and you'd rather get your hands dirty, sort of build stuff. Because the beauty of programming is there's so many resources online. And then once you get past and, you know, once you know how to program GitHub and all that stuff, right? And Google is everyone's best friend when it comes to programming. I mean, I spend a lot of my free time just looking at GitHub. <laughs> now, what's the typical salary range for a professional in your industry? Because the Facebook ads, a thousand a month per client is something reasonable. What else? What other things should people know about the salaries? If you're a freelancer, you're probably making anywhere between... Thirty and seventy thousand dollars a year, uh, depending on how good you are and how much you charge and what products or services you offer. Right? If you're building a company, you're probably making no money. It takes time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because everything you're making is going back into uh, systems and processes to actually build out the organization, the infrastructure. Right? And so, basically, it takes about two to three years to start being able to pay yourself a salary and not have to keep putting it out into something else and just build something else or, you know, hire someone else or all that type of stuff. How would someone sort of survive, right? To get past that two to three year initial point, just support from others or 
Well, most people say to work a side job. I lucked out because, like, once again, my partner, uh, you know, <laughs> he was getting paid, right? And so that's basically how I, I, I side straddle hopped on him. But at the, the same time, also, I'm a veteran, so I get uh, certain money every month for that. So that, that helps put the roof over my head, make sure the bills are paid. And, uh, you know, you still live slim. But everything's going back into the business. So you're actually, you're not, it's, it's funny because when you're working as a freelancer or you have a job, everything's reverse, right? But when you have a business, if you hold on to the money or if you take the money for yourself and then you spend it on something, well, now the business is crippled. It actually hurts you. Yeah, no, that. I mean, look, I'm in the same, I was in the same boat where it took time to sort of get my business to a point. And even when you do start making money, right, you start putting it back into bills, you start bringing and then, you know, you look to keep the cash in the business. And then it does take time to sort of get that. But then when you do start making money, it's like, okay, now I'm making real money, right? You catch up for the years that are, that you sort of lost. So if you could sort of go back with the knowledge you have now, right? And talk to your 18 year old self, would you do anything differently? When I think about it now, I wouldn't have just... I would have disciplined myself a little bit more because basically <laughs> the time that I thought that I was saving, I was fucking off. Now with my mind, the way my mindset is, I like, I wish I would have encountered a growth mindset sooner. There's not enough time. Yeah. Yeah. Day, right. Before you could have just wasted days playing doing whatever. Right. And I just sit back and think about all the time that I sat around <laughs> doing nothing. But I believe everything happens the way it's supposed to, right? So if I didn't do that, I probably I don't know if I'd have the same drive that I have now, right? So I don't think it was really that big of a deal because I still got a lot of experience along the way. But I think I probably would pro- would have had a quicker and easier path to where I am now. Do you have any sort of advice for people sort of going forward now, like entering the industry? Spend as much time studying as you can. You want to be the most knowledgeable person on whatever skill set you're working to master. You just want to be that. Whether you're that one in the company, you're that one in the country, whatever. doesn't really matter. You want to be that good because that's what it takes to survive <laughs> in this world now. Like you really, you really need to take shit seriously. Have the certifications help, like the Facebook ad certifications? Yeah. So that Facebook paid me. That fed me really well and pretty bountifully. This Corona thing stopped a lot of that because basically it was people that were advertising on Facebook. But it was pretty good. Kind of fizzled out. So we, we had to figure out some other revenue strategies in between then. So but, how does how does someone become like a Facebook partner just by doing ads and eventually they contact you? Uh, that's one way. You got to spend a couple million a month. But basically, I, I took a test, a programming test. But you can, they, they have Facebook Blueprint and you can go and take all those tests. So there's a bunch of different ways to become a partner. And then there's a bunch of different partner categories. But in general, it's, it's good to become a partner. Yeah, I would say so. So you don't want to, you never want to be beholden to uh, anybody for any source of income or anything like that. You always want to be careful with that. Like I, I know a person who said like, my main goal is to have a contract with Facebook. You don't want to focus like that. But it's always good to have these partnership strategies because they're they're good for referrals. Yeah, yeah. Because you can say, hey, you have this. I, I have this certification. 
over your competitors and all that. And it just gives you it, right. And so it also helps in a sales point of view too. And so it's just another layer of credibility to add when you're in industry when there's absolutely zero credibility. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I come across a lot of people who say Facebook ads and like, I know a decent amount, so I can tell like when someone's like, dude, you're literally just going to take an image and click the demographics, right? You don't have any like expertise. You don't know any of these things and you're just going to do simple testing. Well, now you can do that and probably win just as well as somebody who comes in and acts as a Facebook ad expert because the CBO does everything for you. Yeah. What does CBO stand for? Campaign budget optimization. Yeah, it's so good, Facebook, when it comes to that. As it's, long as you know... It's 100% machine learning. It's complete machine learning. Highly recommend Facebook Blueprint, at least so... Facebook Blueprint is the first place I tell everybody to go and learn about Facebook ads. It's 100% free. You can go in and, and you'll learn almost everything you need to know about Facebook ads to start running an ad today. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's amazing what you know you can sort of learn. So what's in the future for you? Like, what are the next milestones? What are the next goals? It's going back to business 101. So, you know, talking with my partner today, we're, we're fo- focusing on sales. Uh, to me, I'm getting back more into direct response. And so, uh, building out landing pages and collecting leads and trying to convert people into clients and stuff like that. But in the business side, like on the back end, we've been focusing a lot on building repeatable products and services, right? That we, so that we can scale a little bit easier. And so we're finishing a Shopify store now. So now we have a Shopify theme. So there's a, we're, we're slowly building digital assets that we can then turn around and use and package up and all that type of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Oh, we're about to launch a course too. We have a brand building course as well. But my partner is doing the, I think the last course this week, the, the last episode of the, the pilot course and, People that are in here testing it, they're all real legit like business owners, right? So they're not, they've been in business for 10 years. They feed their families with this and they're learning about building their brain because they never really learned. Yeah. Yeah. They made the money and stuff, but they didn't take it to the next right. level. And these guys are telling us they've never sat down for marketing about their business for this long and like ever. <laughs> Right. So, so it's pretty cool. This, they're, these guys are sitting in their seats for three hours at a time. So the information's coming through and it's, it's great. How would people get in contact with you? Uh, just go to hammersportmarketing.com. Yeah. Or you can, uh, at me on Twitter at Riley Seaberg. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Riley Seaberg. You can Google me. I'm, it'll all pop up. You're famous. Almost there. Almost there. So no, I wish you the best in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I know the listeners are going to get a lot of value. So thank you, Riley, for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com.
Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve them. We got this. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.